Nice. I see a few stars of that video here with us this morning. Nice work in that. And if you're a high schooler, by all means, I, I don't know if you caught this. It was said three times. It starts tonight. And so come and be a part of Deeper Tonight. Uh, my name is Matt. That's what it says right here. And I'm so thankful that you've joined us today as we worship Jesus together. Today is Root Beer Float Sunday. Which means when the service is over, you're going to have an opportunity to go to the other side of the building and there will be root beer floats over there in the cafe and you can grab one of those root beer floats and hang out and talk to people and there are games to play over there and puzzles to complete. So by all means, help us eat the enormous amount of ice cream that we purchased. We would love that, you guys. Uh, I also want to say special thank you to our kids directors this morning who have put in a lot of work in order to put together a family Easter bag. Now, these are available out here at the kids' check-in, and what is in here is a different packet for each week between now and the week after Easter. And as you go through these packets, there are lessons you can do as a family, there are recipes that you can make, there are projects that you can do. There's actually one for each day, but you don't need to feel like you have to do it each day. You can do whatever it is that you feel comfortable with as a family, but these are ways that you can be worshiping Jesus together. It's good for all ages as a family as we approach Easter. And so let me encourage you. Uh, if you have kiddos, to pick one of these up at the kids' table out here, the kids' check-in station. And if the kids' check-in station is too far away from you, for you, uh, I'll just leave this one right here. And you can come and get this one right here uh, and do that as a family. I'm excited to start a new sermon series called Rest for Your Soul. Before we dig into the Word of God, and particularly the passage that Jason just read, uh, let's pray together again. Father, we just ask that your Holy Spirit would be at work in our lives, be at work in our minds and in our hearts, drawing us to yourself. We want to be different. We want to be changed because we've met with the living God today. Help us to see you more clearly today. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's, let's talk a little bit about worry and anxiety. An American Psychological Association study done between 2008 and 2018 measured anxiety within adults in America. And what it found was within that 10-year span, the average adult was experiencing 30% more anxiety in their daily life in just that 10 years between 2008 and 2018. They also found that there was a 23% increase during that 10-year study in the number of adults who identified that worry or anxiety was having a negative impact on their day-to-day -day life. Now think about that. A 10-year period of time. 30% increase, 23% increase in just that short. And the numbers were already high in 2008. And, and we see these massive increases. And if you look at the young adult population, the numbers are even higher than 30 and 23%. We live in a world that is filled with worry and anxiety and tension. Uh, the pressures that we feel from other people's expectations... Uh, our own pressures to try and be successful, whatever that might mean. 
Our inability to see the future and know if everything is going to work out for us and if everything's going to work out for those that we love, they all combine in order to produce a certain amount of worry and anxiety in all of our lives. Every single one of us deal with this issue. And yet, in a world filled with worry, Jesus says that he can bring peace to us. In a world that is filled with worry, Jesus says, those who come to me, they can have rest. Real rest. In this series that is entitled, Rest for Your Soul, we are going to be looking specifically at the way that our innermost person can be at rest and experience peace because of the salvation that Jesus has brought into our life. We're not, during this series, going to be focusing on uh, tips and tricks in order to calm down. Right? There are some good tips and tricks out there. They might have to do with breathing or making sure you're getting enough rest or drinking enough water or getting off social media or putting your phone away. There's a lot of good truth and a lot of good tips in that, but that isn't what we're going to be focusing on in this sermon series. What we're going to be focusing on is much deeper than that. It is the rest and peace that we can have in the innermost core of who we are because of what Jesus has done. And we're going to look at five different ways that Jesus' salvation can bring rest and peace to us. Today we're going to focus on the fact that we can rest because we have been declared innocent in the courtroom of God. And that brings a unique kind of rest and peace to our soul. You can see the others that we'll be dealing with in the weeks to come. And our focus passage for this series, we already read, what is it? It's Matthew 11, 28 through 30. And in the interest of helping us all memorize this passage, here it is again. Right? Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Every week during this series, we're going to get a little more of what this passage has for us. And today, as we start off looking at this passage, there are four questions that I'd like for us to answer. The first is this, what is Jesus offering in this passage? The second is, who qualifies for the offer? Third, how does Jesus bring rest to our souls? And finally, why would Jesus make this offer? Uh, given who I am as a person and the mess that I am as a person, why would Jesus make this offer to people? Let's start with the first question. What is Jesus offering? Clearly in the passage, he's offering rest, isn't he? Isn't that what he says he can bring? He'll bring rest, but it isn't just any kind of rest. Jesus is not offering physical rest if we come to him. Come to me and you'll never have to work another day in your life. Come to me and you won't have to shovel snow anymore or mow your lawn anymore. Come to me and your nap times will be extended. It's not a physical rest in this life that Jesus is offering to us if we come to him. Jesus also isn't offering to us circumstantial rest in this life if we come to him. Come to me and everything will be smooth sailing in your life. All of your work projects will go well. Your kids will never misbehave again. 
your car will never break down again. Right? Jesus is not offering a circumstantial rest to us either. As hard as this is for us, it's even true that Jesus is not offering relational rest and peace when he says this in this life. In John chapter 15, verse 18, Jesus says, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. Jesus says, if you're going to be my follower, there are going to be some people that you're not at peace with. As a matter of fact, when God says, as far as it is possible by you, be at peace with all people, there is an implication in there that you are to do the very best you can, but you don't control all of that. And there are going to be people who aren't at peace with you, where your relationship isn't about unity and rest. So, So he doesn't offer... Uh, physical rest, and he doesn't offer circumstantial rest, and he doesn't offer relational rest in this life. What does he offer to us? It is a very specific rest. It is rest for your soul. Rest for the innermost part of who you are, that deepest part of your humanity. Our souls can be filled with so much turmoil by the questions that are alive in there. Uh, Do I belong anywhere Do I belong with anyone? Will I make it through what lies ahead of me? Will those that I love make it through what lies ahead of them? Am I on the path I'm supposed to be on? What's going to happen to me when I die? These and so many more questions are a challenge to the peace or rest that we're to have in our soul. And sometimes the noise of those questions are so great in our life that we try and avoid it. We try and avoid those by bringing in some sort of distraction in our life. Sometimes, in order to avoid those deep questions that are making our soul restless, we throw ourselves into work with all that we have and distract ourselves with our work. Sometimes, because of the anxiety we're experiencing in our our soul because of those deep questions, we throw ourselves into entertainment. and, And we get caught up in another world, another life, so that I don't have to think about these deepest questions in our soul. But Jesus' answer for us is not to try and escape these big questions of the soul. His answer for us is to face them head on, hand in hand with Him. And He says, if you'll do that, if you'll face the biggest questions that you can ask in life, the questions that are deepest within the core of who you are, and you do it with me as your Savior, there's rest. There's peace in the deepest place in your life. Anyone want that kind of peace in their life? Right. Well, who's it for? Who qualifies for this offer of rest for our soul? Do I qualify for the kind of peace that Jesus is offering? Do I qualify to come to him and experience this? I mean, maybe I have to be an extrovert and really love being around people and I'm not. Maybe in order to qualify for this offer, you need to be an introvert and really love being by yourself, and I'm not. Maybe in order to qualify for this rest that Jesus is talking about, you need to come out of a really healthy family background, and I don't. Or maybe you need to come out of a really dysfunctional family background so you can know how good you've got it, and I don't. Maybe you need to be a Jew. Maybe you need to be wealthy. Maybe you need to live in the country. Maybe you need to be a Packers fan. No, 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 no. (laughs) Right? No on all of those. So, wait, can I even have this peace? 
Who is it that qualifies to come to Jesus for this offer of rest for your soul? The answer is those who labor, all who labor and are heavy laden. Who is it that qualifies for Jesus' offer for peace? It is anyone who experiences the burden of this life and the heaviness of their sins. They can come to Jesus and experience this peace, this rest for their soul. Right? Is, that, is that you? Do you feel the weight of this life? Do you feel the weight of your sins? Jesus says, then you're qualified to come to me and experience this great rest. As a matter of fact, as we read through the Gospels, there's only one set of people who can't come to Jesus and experience this kind of rest. Do you know who it is? It's those who think they have it all together. Jesus says, those people will never experience my rest because they think they know enough on their own to get by, because they think they can do enough good that they don't need me. And Jesus says, those who think of themselves as healthy won't come to a physician for help. And so the only requirement is that we recognize how we labor and how we are heavy laden. We recognize our deep need for Jesus and the salvation that he offers here. That's the only prerequisite. The only people who can't come are those who think they can do it all on their own and that they don't need Jesus. Anyone who recognizes their need can come. We just need to recognize the burden and the heaviness of this life and of our sin. Jesus says, if you recognize that, you can come to me for peace. Who qualifies? All who labor and are heavy laden. How does Jesus bring this rest to our souls? We're, we're burdened, we're heavy laden, we come to him. How does he bring this rest to our lives? Well, well I, told, I showed you earlier that we're going to look at five different ways over the five next weeks that Jesus' salvation can bring peace or rest to our innermost life, to our souls. And today we're focusing on the fact that we can have rest in our souls because of the work of Jesus Christ. You as his follower have been declared innocent in the courtroom of God. And there might be nothing that brings greater peace and rest to us than that. The greatest anxiety that people deal with is what is going to happen to them when they die. It is such a worry in our lives that I know plenty of people who don't want to talk about their own death, who, who if you bring it up, will say, that's morbid, let's not talk about that. I know people who won't go to funerals or do so begrudgingly, because if you go to a funeral or a memorial, it confronts you with your own mortality. 80% of Americans believe that there is some sort of everlasting life that people will enter into when they die. 80% of Americans, 60% of Americans believe there's some sort of punishment or hell that people may receive when they have passed on. Think about those percentages. A huge percentage of people around us believe there is something after this. And so they experience a worry and an anxiety about what it is and what they may be in for. I would contend that even among those who say they don't believe that there's anything after this, there is still a worry and anxiety about what is next. This is why 12% of avowed atheists say they pray to God every day. Right? Why? Uh, because they're hedging their bets. 
There's some sense in which when we're in our quiet moments, we recognize we were made for more than this. And I was made for more than I am. And as we sit there in that quiet and recognize that if we don't know what's going to happen to us after this life, what's the natural reaction? Worry and anxiety. But the gospel of Jesus Christ teaches us that we can be set free from all worry and all anxiety about our eternal future because of what Jesus has done on our behalf. Now, now before Jesus, we were right to be worried. We were right to, be, to experience anxiety because look at what the gospel says is true of us before Jesus. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passion of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Our anxiety should have been off the charts if we properly understood our position to our maker and our judge before Jesus. Because we were children of wrath. We were his enemies. There's no worse place to be. As a matter of fact, I would contend that before we come to faith in Jesus Christ, the very best thing that we can experience is worry, anxiety, and fear. Because it is that worry and anxiety and fear that is meant to drive us to the one place that we need to go, and that is to the cross of Jesus Christ for salvation. And so we were right to experience anxiety and worry when we thought about who we were and what was going to go on before we knew Jesus. But once we come to faith in Jesus, all of that changes. And all worry and all anxiety about what is going to happen to us on the day of judgment is eroded and the cross of Jesus Christ stands in its place. Look at the next verses. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together in Christ. By grace you have been saved. Because of the saving work of Jesus, there is no need for worry or anxiety at the judgment any longer. We no longer stand under a guilty sentence. We're no longer condemned. Isn't that what Romans 8.1 says? There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We're no longer guilty. There's no longer any condemnation. And because of that, there is no reason for worry or anxiety in our lives. We can look forward to the day of judgment. Look forward to it with joy because of what Jesus has done on our behalf, because of his great goodness. Why in the world would Jesus make this offer to me? Sinful, messy person that I am, why would Jesus make this offer to me? It certainly cost him. He took all of my guilty and the punishment for my guilty so that I could have his innocence and be declared innocent. Why would he do this, you guys? I think the answer is in Matthew chapter 11, where we just looked. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It was an old, old preacher named Spurgeon who I first heard say, 
This is the only time in the Gospels where Jesus tells you what his heart is all about. Now, that doesn't mean this is the only time in the Gospels. Please don't don't hear me wrong. It doesn't mean this is the only time in the Gospels where we see and hear the heart of Jesus. We see Jesus' heart in every action and in every word. But this is the only time in the Gospels where he expressly tells us what his heart is about. And what is the heart in the Bible? It's the very core of who we are, out of which everything flows. And Jesus says, the very core of who I am, out of which everything flows, is a core of gentleness and lowliness. Wow. The Greek word for gentleness is often translated meekness. It doesn't mean to be weak. It actually means to be strong but never do any harm with that strength. Jesus is not trigger happy. Jesus is the most patient person in the universe, in the history of the universe. He is gentle, he's meek, he's understanding. We're told he's lowly. The Greek word translated lowly here, uh, some of your translations have humble. Because that's the way this word is translated most often in the New Testament. Like in James chapter 4, verse 6, when we are told, God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. That's the same word. Jesus is humble, lowly, we might think approachable in this situation. We can see his gentleness and his humility on display with the yoke that he offers to us. He says, come and take my yoke upon you. And he describes his yoke with what word it is? Easy. Again, the Greek word here that's translated easy is most often in the New Testament translated kind. Like in Ephesians 4.32, when we are told to be kind to one another, it's the same word. His yoke that he calls us into, the yoke of his salvation, is it's easy, it's good, it's kind. Because he is gentle and he is humble. Isn't that good news? Why? Why would Jesus do this? Because he isn't just a merciful God. He is rich in mercy. Isn't that what it said? Abounding in mercy towards his people. There are times we use a metaphor about what is in a person's heart, about what's central to their life. And the metaphor goes like this. If you cut that person, they bleed blank. Right? You familiar with this phrase? So we might say about Joe from Green Bay, who wears a triangular piece of cheese on his head, not just on game days, but every day. If you cut Joe from Green Bay, he bleeds Packers green. Right? It's a sense of, that's what his life is about. That's what his passion is. If Joe's into IT and he works 80 hours a week, we might say about Joe, if you cut Joe, he bleeds user interfaces. If Joe's a football coach and you can't talk to him about, without finding out about how his high school team is and this kid and that kid and what plays they're running, we might say about Joe, if you, if you cut Joe, he bleeds X's and O's. It is perhaps appropriate based on what we have talked about in the scriptures we've read this morning to say, if you cut Jesus, he bleeds gentleness, humility, and abundant mercy. Right? He bleeds gentleness, humility, lowliness, 
and abundant mercy. I think there are times because Jesus, because God is enshrined in glory and is majestic and is holy, that when we think about approaching him, we know we're able to approach him because the Bible says so, but somehow we picture Jesus kind of holding his nose at our approach. Oh, yeah, okay, because of what I did, you're allowed to approach me, but your life, it stinks. Right? Like, I, don't, don't get too close. But this passage is helping us to see that's not God's heart. That's not Jesus' heart. Jesus' heart is, is humble. It's gentle. It's filled with mercy. It wants you to approach. It wants relationship with you. It wants intimacy with you, the follower. We see that heart in Matthew chapter 8 when a leper comes to Jesus and says, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And what is Jesus' response? I am willing, be clean. Right? The Greek word there for willing is the word thalima, which means a desire or a wish. He says, Jesus, if you really want it, you could make me clean. And Jesus says, I want it. It's my desire for you because I love you. Because I have great mercy towards you. In the next chapter, a group of guys cut a hole in the roof and they lower their friend down. And before they say anything about what they're looking for or what they want, Jesus speaks words of mercy over him and says, Take heart, my son. Your sins are forgiven. They haven't even told him why they've lowered him through the roof. But before they can get to it, words of mercy and grace and humility come tumbling out of Jesus' mouth over this man. Because his heart is merciful. and His heart is humble. In Revelation chapter 1, the Apostle John, who spent three years with Jesus, he's described as the one Jesus loved, sees Jesus in his risen and glorified form. And what is his response to that? In Revelation chapter 1, John, Jesus' friend, falls on his face because he can't even stand up in the presence of the glorified Jesus. And when we read that, we go, Humble, lowly, approachable. His good friend can't even stand up in his presence. He falls on his face in the presence of Jesus, and we're told he can't get up. I, I think you mean majestic, Matt. I think you mean overwhelming. But what happens next in Revelation 1? Jesus walks over to John, and Revelation chapter 1 actually specifies he takes his right hand and places it on John. And since the next time we see John, he's up walking around, I'm assuming he brings John up to his feet and he speaks words of encouragement to him. Because Jesus is majestic and he is overwhelming and he is also gentle and he is also humble and he is rich in mercy. That's Jesus who loves you so deeply. And it is at this point that I want to remind you that Jesus says, the one who has seen me has seen the Father. And so if Jesus is humble and gentle and filled with mercy, what is the Father? It's at this point that I want to remind you in Hebrews chapter 13 that we are told Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so if Jesus was gentle and humble and filled with mercy 2,000 years ago, what is he today? 
That's right. That's right. He's the same Savior whose heart is gentle and lowly and so very rich in mercy toward his people. He offers salvation to us if we will come to him. Are you weary? Are you heavy laden? Do you experience the weight of your sins? Jesus says, come to me. Come to me. For for those of you who have come to him, one of the things that the Bible teaches us to do is to proclaim that new rest and peace that we have in the waters of baptism. To say, Jesus has saved me and to do so publicly. And we have an opportunity for that coming up on Easter. It's going to be a special day filled with baptisms of God's people who are declaring in front of God and his church, he has saved me in his great mercy. And so if that's of interest to you, by all means, talk to me. There's actually a place on your Connect card where you can mark your interest for that. Those who are followers of Jesus, we regularly participate in the Lord's Supper as a reminder of his great mercy of his gentleness and his humility that has saved us. We're going to move into a time of taking the Lord's Supper. And as we sing this song and the band plays, let me encourage you to go and get the cup, to get the bread, and bring it back to your seats. And after we've sung this song, I will lead us uh, in the taking of those elements together. You are so good, Lord. We are so thankful. We recognize you are majestic. You are awesome. We recognize you're you're the same Savior who just a few verses before this pronounced woes over certain cities because you are holy. We also recognize that your heart is gentle, humble, filled with mercy, and we have seen that poured out in our lives. And now we celebrate it at your table, we celebrate it in song, and we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.